So uh, this is the last week of our series that we are calling Advent Encounters. And you may be thinking, well, that's a little strange. Why are we still talking about Advent Encounters when Christmas is already over? It's done for 2017 already. But the Christmas story, it doesn't just end with the birth of Jesus. There's things that happen afterwards, including the story from last week, which was the story of the shepherds. It goes beyond that. Uh, in fact, the Advent encounter we're going to be covering today um, is, is actually one of those kind of after-the-fact stories. It's the stories of uh, the Magi's Advent encounter with God and then the gifts that they also bring to uh, Jesus as well. And just as a reminder uh, about this series, um, really what we've been highlighting is just what happens when people in, in the Advent story, they meet God in these encounters and then just the a powerful experience they have and the impact that that has upon many of these folks. And really what makes uh, the Magi story just a little bit different this morning is all of the other stories, really the encounters that the people had, they had with an angel or a messenger of the Lord. But it is not true for the Magi. The Magi had an encounter with a star, I guess, and then they encountered uh, Jesus, the baby um, and that was really their God encounter, and we'll dig into that a little bit this morning. That story is found uh, in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, which is our scripture reading this morning. And our scripture reader this morning is John Van Vliet. And John, you can head on up, and we thank you for volunteering to do this. What we do here is, is we stand and we face the center of the room where scripture is read. And the reason we do so is because the scriptures are the greatest story ever told. They're a true story about us. It's the story of Jesus, especially this morning. So go ahead, John, when you're ready. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, John. <clears throat> now, before we get rolling, I want to talk to all the kids in the room a minute. So this story, kids, is about the Magi, and it's about their gifts that they bring to Jesus. Now, 
um, you may not have one yet, but in the back of the room, there are bags for you. And one of the things that are in that bag is a sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper, you are invited to make a gift for Jesus while I get to talk. And you can make whatever you want. It can be a story that you write. It can be a picture. It can be a letter. Uh, It can be origami. I don't know. Whatever your creative mind tells you to make. And you can offer it later on in the service as a gift to Jesus. You'll be able to bring it up to that cross. You can see there's already some up there. So if you have not received one of those bags yet, feel free to run down there and grab a bag. And you can get one and start creating your gift for Jesus. Now, back to the Magi. You know, one of the questions that I have every time I read this is, well, who in the world are the Magi? Who are they? Because in the rest of the scriptures, there's really no reference to magi. Their story doesn't continue. They kind of plop into the book of Matthew here, and then they're gone, and then you kind of never hear from them again. Like, who are the magi, and really what significance do the magi have to the Christmas story at all anyway? Um, most of us, including myself, uh, when we think uh, the magi and who they are, we might think of the song, We Three Kings, Right? We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orient. Right? That song? Uh, You're probably at this point tired of hearing that song, especially if I'm singing it. I know how this goes. Um, But We Three Kings of Orient, the We Three Kings song. And I loved this song as a child. And I imagined, you know, as a child, just what this story looked like, kind of using that as a guide. And I imagined, you know, these three Asian kings. And they had these sweet crowns on. And they were wandering through the desert on camels, just the three of them hanging out. And they're wandering and they're searching for some stable or something. They're trying to find this Jesus. And the thing that they were following was this moving star in the sky that was kind of magically moving around. And then finally it stopped and it stopped on the stable. And then they looked down and then they saw the Christmas scene, right? They saw the lambs and the lambs were buying. And then they saw the the cow and there was a cow there that was moving. There could have been a chicken. I'm not sure. I imagined all of these things. And then you saw Joseph and Mary and you saw the baby Jesus as a brand new baby Jesus. And then you saw the shepherds standing there like kind of proud and excited and then I imagine the Magi kind of ran down the hill and then they joined this situation. They joined this kind of image. And then I wasn't sure what they did. Maybe they sang Kumbaya or something. I wasn't sure. But they did something after they were all together in this magical scene. Um, and this is what I got from this song. And I loved this song. However, this song really doesn't do justice to the Christmas story. And it really doesn't do justice to the Magi. There are literally three things wrong with the first half sentence of that song. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe it's a pastor thing. I don't know. Um, Nowhere in scripture does it tell us that there were three magi who came to visit Jesus. Nowhere. There are three gifts, but it does not say three magi, which is interesting. Nowhere in the scriptures are we informed that the Magi were kings of any kind at all? In fact, the word Magi more closely resembles uh, the English word magician than it does king of any kind. And then three, uh, the Magi were likely not Oriental in the way we might understand that term today. I don't know if you've thought about this. And, And so the big question is, When we read about these magi, well, who in the world are the magi if, you know, the the We Three Kings song didn't get it right? Like, who are these people? 
Now, luckily, Scripture gives us a couple hints along the way. And I want to just dive into a couple of those just to try to figure out who these magi are. And here's the first one. The magi were, Scripture says, from the east. From the east. Now, when someone today says, from the east, what do we think of? China or something, right? That's what east is. China or Japan or Hong Kong or something. That's east. That's east for us. When we think people came from east, they came from China probably. Well, in the time of Jesus, the world was so much smaller than it is for us today. East, for in Jesus' day, could literally mean just a couple dozen miles to the east. It could mean maybe even a hundred miles to the east. But it probably didn't mean thousands and thousands of miles from the east. And in fact, for the Magi, to make a trip from Eastern Asia, from China, would have been a tremendously long and difficult and unlikely trip, especially considering the length of the Magi's stay. Now, now Scripture doesn't say how long they stay, but let's just say they stay a month. It would take years to get there just to stay a month. It just seems unlikely. And so when we read that the Magi came from the east, what we should assume is that uh, they were probably directly from the east, in another country to the east of Israel. And directly to the east of Israel was an empire. And that empire, there's a map that's going to pop up on the screen. That empire was the Parthian Empire, or we better know it as the Persian Empire. And that is probably where the Magi came from. They were Persians. Now, Scripture gives us another clue about who these Magi are because Matthew says that the Magi were stargazers. They looked into the sky and they saw a star and then they interpreted that to mean something. Now, they were likely some kind of astrologers in their day reading the stars for signs from a god or the gods or the earth or something like that. So, so the Magi were probably Persian stargazers. And we get another clue, too, because what do the Magi bring with them? Gold, frankincense, and... We love saying that word, don't we? Myrrh. It just feels good. It rolls off the lips. Myrrh. These items were inordinately expensive, rare items in the ancient world. There were only a few countries that produced these things, and then the wealthy were probably the only ones that really had these things. And so that means that the Magi likely had great means. They had wealth. Now we put all these pictures or all these pieces together. So who were the Magi? This is Pastor John's guess. And some other historians have kind of affirmed this too. The Magi were pagan Persian royal astrologers. Yeah, that rolls off the lips nicely too, doesn't it? Pagan Persian royal astrologers. We have historical evidence that in Persia at this time, the royalty, the king, hired magi to read the stars for signs of predictions for the future. And it is most likely that the magi who visited Jesus were these royal stargazers. They were the court astrologists in Persia. And at the time, these court astrologists 
They actually practiced a pagan religion. And part of their pagan religion was there was a prophecy. And the prophecy was that one day a king would come and bring peace to the whole world. And somehow they read the stars. And what do they read in the stars? That the Jewish king Jesus was born. And they head out all excited and they go and find him. Isn't that interesting? You see, God encounters are not only for those who believe. Have you thought about that? Sometimes, you know, perhaps we say often, God encounters people in their lives and they have no sense of faith or trust in the biblical God at the same time. Yet, they encounter God. You see, what this story shows us is what it looks like when people of no faith encounter the biblical God. And I think it's really important that we listen in to how they respond. How do the magi, the pagan magi, respond when they meet the alive, the risen God? They meet Jesus, the biblical God. First, when the Magi encounter God, the first thing they do is what? They worship him. You know, the Magi were almost certainly not Jewish. They did not follow the Jewish law. They did not associate themselves with the covenant of of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were pagan. They were thoroughly pagan. And yet, these pagan people, who probably had quite a bit of power being a part of the royal court, um, immediately fall down when they meet this baby Jesus and they worship him. The question is, why? Why? You see, there's evidence, and I I sort of alluded to this earlier, that the Magi in Persia practiced a specific religion. And the religion has a great name that we should repeat often. Zoroastrianism. You can say that ten times fast. It's really exciting. Zoroastrianism. And Zoroastrianism had a prophecy that one day a king was going to be born. And that king was going to bring peace to the whole world. And then the Magi meet Jesus. And I imagine they realize in that moment, or really whenever they they, read this, they see the star or whatever it is, um, they realize in that moment that their pagan prophecy is being fulfilled before their very eyes. And when they realize this, their only response is to worship. See, sometimes that's what a God encounter looks like. You know, we all know deep down that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, don't we? Like when we turn on the news or we just look out at the changing landscape of our culture, we say things are not the way they're supposed to be. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at ourselves, if we take a good hard look in the mirror, we will see a lot about ourselves that are not the way it's supposed to be, right? There's decisions that we make or have made. There's thoughts that we have. There's things that we have pursued that we know are not the way it's supposed to be. We know this. It's, it's obvious to us. You know, how is the world not the way it's supposed to be? You know that one person in your life that was supposed to care for you and love you or they were a really close friend and then one day that person, you know, stabs you in the back and you're left like, what? I, d- I didn't see that coming. This is not the way it's supposed to be. 
or, or when someone that we love, or perhaps it's you, you're standing in front of the doctor and you have that piece of paper that says exactly what's going on with your health and you look at it and you stare at it and you're confused and you say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The world's not supposed to have diseases and sicknesses like this. This isn't right. Or recently I was reading about uh, the history of the U.S. And uh, out of the U.S.'s about 240-year history, 223 of those years the U.S. has been in war. you thought about this? We have been at war almost our entire existence as a country. And you know what comes with that. Lives have to be sacrificed. There has to be losers. People have to die. People get hurt in war. And we know it shouldn't be this way. We should not be at war that long, but this is the world we live in, isn't it? You know, and I would hope for most of us that when we look at all the bad in the world, we, we think there's got to be a future hope. There's got to be something, a, there's got to be a day out there where all the bad stuff goes away or is fixed or is mended and the world's the way it's supposed to be, right? Do we not hope for that? And you see, when we meet Jesus, we realize that in Jesus, the God-man is the fulfillment to that hope. The hope that we long for, the world the way it's supposed to be, that, that in Jesus all things will be made right again. And when that clicks for us, we'll find that the only response to Jesus is worship. Heartfelt, thankful worship. You know, just to be honest this morning, there are days in my life where I don't feel particularly worshipful. There's actually days where I will enter this space on a Sunday and I just won't want to worship. P perhaps you have that experience too. And I wonder if it's at least possible that in those days when we don't want to worship, it's that we have forgotten or never truly grappled with the fact that Jesus came into this world and is the answer, is the cure. That in Jesus, there is hope in the world. And if we truly believe that, how can we not want to worship? So the Magi, they come, they come to Jesus and they worship. But the Magi don't stop with worship. It's interesting. They do something uh, that I wouldn't expect. The Magi come, they encounter God, and then they give Jesus things that are very precious to them. They bring gifts to Jesus because they realize that Jesus is the king that they had hoped for. And they had read it in the stars. And what do you do when you visit a king, especially in the time of the Magi, is you bring them a gift. That's what you do. You bring royalty gifts when you visit them in their court. The question is, if you're the Magi, what do you bring to the king? What do you bring? What do you bring to a king that you know is like no other king you've encountered before? What do you bring to the king who is the king of peace? Well, for the Magi, they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they did so because these three things were the three of the most valuable things in the time of the Magi. And the Magi would bring those valuable things as a gift to Jesus. You see, the Magi, upon encountering God in Jesus, offer their most precious thing to him. 
in some, in some sense, it's really the best thing that they could offer to Jesus. This is the best we've got, Jesus. It is yours. Now, uh, this isn't a scoop for any of us, but today is New Year's Eve, right? It's New Year's Eve and at midnight tonight, we will party and we will celebrate and we will celebrate that there is a new year beginning. And, and with a new year comes a sense of a blank slate, right? We think of a new year and we see all the things that happened in the past and we say, no, no, no this year is going to be different. We're going to make better decisions this year. Most of us think about these things. And so tomorrow, many of us are going to start reprioritizing our lives and say, okay, what am I going to do different this year? What am I going to stop doing this, this year? What am I going to do differently this year? And for some of us, it means we're going to commit to our health, right? We are going to finally lose those extra pounds that we wanted to lose. We are finally going to hit the gym and we're going to hit it regularly every single day of this year. We're going to go after it. I know some of you are starting to feel ill hearing about this. I get it. Um, some of us are going to put down the cheeseburgers and say, we're eating salads this year, which is it's sad. It's sad. I get it. Um, yesterday, I actually was at Costco and I was walking through. You know the first thing I saw when I walked into Costco? was a massive array of fitness equipment because Costco's got our number. They know. They know exactly what we're up to. You know, for others of us, though, the new year means different priorities. You know, new priorities for our families. New priorities for our careers. We're going to make decisions with our careers this year that we know that we should make. New priorities for our finances. We're going to handle our money differently this year. We're going to do it differently. And there's many other things that we may try to reprioritize in our lives. You know, as we look ahead at the new year with that, that, that fabled blank slate that we imagine, what if one of our primary questions was, what will I bring to the king this year? What will I bring to God this year that I haven't brought to God in years past? What am I going to bring to Jesus this year? You know, the Magi, they brought their most precious gifts they could. The things that held the most value to them, their gold and frankincense and myrrh. What are the most valuable things to us? What is your gold and frankincense and myrrh in some sense? You know, for some of us, it's our time, Right? Our time, it seems to always be running short. We never have enough of it. And we cling to it and we protect it the best we can. And we struggle. Like giving God 20 minutes a day actually for some of us feels like a lot because we don't have enough time as it is already. Just praying with God or being with God or reading scripture with God, 20 minutes a day, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask for, God. You know, coming on Wednesday nights regularly, I don't know if I've got time for that. I don't know. I don't have a lot of time. I've got to protect my time. Or even coming to church regularly on Sunday mornings. We think about it and we're like, I don't know. I don't have a lot of time. I need to protect some of that. I've got to keep some for myself. What if God is asking you to bring your time and give it to the king this year? You know, perhaps for you, your treasure, the thing you value the most is finances, you know, perhaps money is that precious thing. It's your, it's your gold and frankincense and myrrh. And money, it gives us that security blanket, right? So we like to hold on to it when we can. Or, or we have this money and we know that it's limited, right? We don't have a ton of money and we want to use it on ourselves too, you know? We want to get that skiing pass. We want to go and get those clothes. We want to hit that vacation. We want to spend our money on whatever. 
And then we think of giving it to God, and it's like, I don't know, God, I don't know, I don't know. This, this, is, this is precious to me. I, I don't know if I can give that to you this year. I, I don't know. What if God, this year, is calling you to give your finances to the king? And there's those other things, right? There's those things that are below the surface of, of our lives, like our needs for security and control. You know, the idea that we would take a risk for God, for some of us, might be a really scary thing. God, I don't think I can take that risk because that would violate my security, and I hold on to my security tight. I'm not taking a risk. What if God says, lay your security on the king this year? Give it to Jesus. Or control. You know, some of us, we have to be in control of a lot of things, and, and we have to be in control of all of it. And, and the idea that we would let go of some of that control and let Jesus take some of it, that's really scary to us. And we don't do that. What if, what if this year God is calling you to lay your control at the feet of Jesus, to give it to the king? You know, tomorrow is a new year. It's 2018. It's that blank slate It's an opportunity. The question is, what will you bring to the king this year? What will you bring? Let's pray. God, we thank you for these God encounters that we continue to dive into. And God, we thank you that these God encounters, though they may be special, they may be unique, but we can see ourselves in a lot of them. And God, we pray that as we we stare down the new year and we reevaluate our priorities, we shuffle the deck in our lives, God, that that you would give us a heart uh, to, to bring something to you this year that we just haven't in the past. And God, so we ask for soft hearts, we ask for your presence, we ask for discernment as we choose to uh, do that. And we thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.